is your host, Sharon Lin, and welcome back to Come Along. So today I have a very, very special guest, and it's a great honor to have him in a studio with me. So today we have you, the ambassador of Tuvalu to Taiwan, Mr. Bikanibu Painu. Say hi. Hi, Sharon, and hi, you, my um, dear listeners. Yeah, listeners of the world. It's a great pleasure to have you here, uh, Bikani, and you're very kind to allow me to just call you Bikani in our conversation, and it's very sweet of you. And there's just so much that I would love to to ask you about. And the first thing is that most people in Taiwan they know of Tuvalu because of our, our diplomatic relations, and it's been more than 40 years, right? It's about 44 years, yeah. not even a year after our independence in 1978. We signed a diplomatic relations agreement in 79 about Yun. Before we start, how have you been recently? I know you recently went abroad and you're now back in Taipei. So how is life going on? Very well. I'm very healthy. When I first came, I I felt a bit down because of my weight and wasn't able to walk properly. But after one year and six months, I suppose, I'm a very healthy gentleman ambassador right now. Yeah, you look great. And listeners, um, you will only see from the photos, but um, Bikini is wearing a fabulous shirt and a great blazer, great fashion sense as well. So what's the daily life of being an ambassador like and based in Taipei now? Lots of work, especially if you are really that committed to your work. Busy, busy. At times you sleep late, you wake up, you wake up onto the phone and answer emails and start work from there. And especially this wearing of suits. Oh, yeah. Especially (laughs) in uh, the height of summer in Taiwan. (laughs) Yes, and especially when there's so much activities going on and you got to attend functions or attend meetings that an ambassador here need to wear a formal suit, uh, mm-hmm. which is somewhat quite uh, burdensome, not really a burden, but mm-hmm. I have, I'm det- I was, I feel determined all the time that I had to comply. I had to show mm-hmm. the courtesy and appear as gentlemen and accept the fact that here in Taiwan, it is how things are. So I try very hard to follow the, the way of life here in terms of being an ambassador. Mm-hmm. Back in Tuvalu, would you say formal wear would be quite different from what you usually wear now in Taipei? It would be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, only I wear suits only at times of uh, very, very formal functions. But like my shirt I'm wearing right now, yeah. so long as it is, we would uh, call it here in Taiwan casual smart, is, uh, that's how we dress up in Tuvalu. And I'm curious, like, what would you think would be anything people might find surprising of a daily life of an ambassador from your experience? I think one of the things I do experience now is I I feel I need to exercise, to walk mm-hmm. as lo- as much as I can so I can feel strong and healthy, eat healthy, which is something that uh, now I'm doing, that I go on vegetarian most of the time, with something that I do now in Taiwan as an ambassador. And as a result, I really feel good and I feel very healthy. Perhaps another surprise thing that... Uh, um, is to live in a beautiful environment in the country, so beautiful. And my res- our residents, our work, our office where we work, I must say a lot about my dignitaries coming from Tuvalu. Mm-hmm. 
they admire so much the the style and the the room furniture. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Many like wooden carvings. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, Symbolisms yes, inside. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a great honor to hear that because um, I think from I I've yet um, arrived into Balu yet, but from pictures and videos, it's a very beautiful country, and I cannot wait to learn more from your experience and your eyes as the ambassador now. Coming to office at the age of 33, you were the youngest ever prime minister of Tuvalu. So you came to office your first term in 1989. It is correct, which yeah. is when I was a 33. Yeah, you were 33, and I have to ask you because the listeners of of our shows are slightly younger, in their 30s or even younger. So, like you served as Tuvalu's prime minister twice, and I'm curious, what had you learned in your early 30s? Of two value of yourself that translated well to the skills needed as a leader. Thank you, Sharon. I think it is to correct that I was I had three terms as prime oh, minister. Oh, okay. I apologize. I'll right. correct that. Okay, thank you. The terms is when you get elected as prime minister into, and that we refer though not full terms of four years, but still they counted to. Separately,、oh, three times. So, for instance, all right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. My first term was from 1989 to 1993. Second term, second term was 1996 to 1998, and the third term was the continuation of my second term from 1998 to 1999,、mm. before the millennium. I was fortunate, very, very lucky to have gone straight to university from the pre- prestigious、um, school in the former colony of the Gilbert and Ellis Islands Colony. Nineteen seventy-five, I entered the University of the South Pacific in Fiji. Nineteen nineteen seventy-six. Yes. Tuvalu separated from. Giribas and became known as Tuvalu. As you know, we were the earliest parts of the Gilbert, you know, the colony of the Gilbert and the Ellis Islands. Then, so graduated with the Bachelor of Agriculture in nineteen ninety eight. The first graduate, because there were two others, but they graduated when we were a colony. But for after independence, I was the first Tuvaluan to come back with a with a bachelor's degree. And again, the first Tuvaluan with a master's degree.、Uh, I happened to be the only graduate then around when the U.S. United States called on wanted、um, uh, the Tuvalu to come over to University of Iswa Center in Hawaii to study and wanted a graduate to start a graduate studies program. And I happened to be the one, so I、mm. I went there and broke the ice for Tuvalu because there were no Tuvaluans. We normally go to Britain, New Zealand. Uh, Australia, but not U.S. So I was the、mm. first to break the ice in the U.S. and when they admitted to the Graduate School of、um, Pacific Studies, and later on I changed to School of Economics.、Uh, but after passing my probation period, so went back in nineteen eighty four with a master's. So I then went and work overseas. I think the years from my experience then. 
grooming me for the seat of prime minister, which I never dreamed of. And, and I'm um, curious, what was tracing back time? What was your spark for you that you decided you want to step into politics? I know, very good question. I was already working in the the South Pacific Commission that is now called the Pacific Pacific Community, the Secretariat of the Pacific Community, based in Nomea, New Caledonia, and I was already a rural development economist there from 1985. 1988, my cousin, who was then a member of parliament from Tuvalu, passed away from my island, and the family called on me and the island come back and uh, and and replace a brother or finish his term or to be the member for Nukulala, and it was a difficult decision. I was living yeah. a very good life and yeah. nice life in Nomea. You know the big, French. Big, big changes. The French, yeah. <laughs> My children, the two elders were speaking French already. was good pay. The life was beautiful. Yeah. It was a very difficult decision for me and my wife. It took us two or three weeks to decide, and we eventually agreed to go back and contest the by-election on Nukulai, 1988. Mm-hmm. I won the by-election, and then we st- we got stuck in the politics for 18 years. Yeah. Out of that 18 years, 15 years I was in the cabinet. Three years was uh, as a normal member of parliament. I think um, the fact that I was... Where, I have degrees and masters. I had experience from this international premium uh, regional organization. Yes. I was groomed, actually, to become the prime minister, which I never dreamed of. Yeah, you never thought about that, yeah. But, you know, because of uh, the after the elections in 1989, I got in in a by-election in 88. And when I went to... Uh, to join, I mean, to swore in as parliament, sworn in as parliament. My Alan said to me, Pikeni, you came to run for the opposition platform. We want you to go and join the government, finish up the term of your brother, my cousin brother. was very difficult for me, but I did what my island people want. I spoke with my colleagues in the opposition eventually. The, the last morning I was supposed to go see the prime minister for me to say, yes, I'm here for you. They all came and said, yeah, you can go and do what your island people want. Anyway, to cut the story short, what happened is that I, in history too, I became the first candidate to be unopposed. No election mm. on my island in 1989 because that's how the community, the, uh, the chiefs and the island said, no, nobody else to come and contest this is our rep is already decided. Mm-hmm. It's only Bikini, oh, you know, wow. Bikini Bill Pioneer. So I got an elected. When we went into Parliament, all the elected members, that time it was 12 members of Parliament only, the number game started. As any other politician would know, you know, you got to go through the number of, like, nominating and then elimination. Yeah, and so whoever a, a has process, the, yeah, yeah. Whoever has the number. So we end, I end up in the seven because... After the national elections, seven of us got together, and that is the bigger number than the five. Mm. Seven against five. So we went through the number, and a long story, I got elected. I remained, the two of us. But it was a very interesting story. When the we made the vote between us, the seven of us, even before we voted, I already knew I have the four. Mm. And when the other candidate has three, so <laughs> automatically I became, I mean, right there after the votes, yeah. became prime minister. Okay, so you kind of knew a little bit then already that, okay, you will become prime minister. Well, I had to say to this colleague I nominated as well to be the prime minister, was the only lady 
the first ever lady pa- member of parliament. Amazing. I said, wow, I nominated you, but now my name is there. <laughs> and I know I can do the jobs. And she said, so? Can I pull out my support? And he said, you can. I was just, I just went there because my husband was pushing me. But they were all right. We're talking my husband and you. Mm, I knew yeah. it's a long story. Okay. <laughs> so I, because I pulled out my support and, and my standing, the candidate I was with was the person that nominated me. Mm. Oh. The last two of us. Wait, can I feel like, are we allowed to share this with the listeners? It's good, right? We can know. I can share. <laughs> okay, amazing. Because for, 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 my, for the yeah. listeners, yeah, I can share because... <laughs> Somehow, one other guy in the four of us said, missing link, and you have to get prepared for that. I said, what? I've already told the lady member, get ready. When you pull out your support from her, the guy that is standing with you now will also pull out his support, and he will end up on the post and become the prime minister. Mm-hmm. I said, no, that cannot happen. I said, just wait. And obviously what he was saying, the missing link happened. Just as I was pulling my support out from this lady member, the guy immediately said, all right, Bikini, I'm sorry then because I nominated you. I, I now pull out my support. And the lady member jumped chair. I nominated Bikini to be the prime minister too. Wow. Okay. The guy was so panicked. <laughs> it's got the white face altogether. Mm, yeah. So... So before the vote, we broke for lunch, came back. I was sitting on my lunch table, and these three other candidates who came to me and said, come, we go to the hotel. I said, what? You're going to be the prime minister because there's four of us already. <laughs> so, yes, that's how I became the prime minister. Wow. To, to know what happened behind the scene, behind in, in the rooms, it's really a great honor. So I kind of want to circle back a little bit. As you mentioned, education, it plays a huge role of informing you, becoming prime minister. Prime Minister and as a politician. And then I'm curious about what education is like in Tuvalu. Like what's student life like in Tuvalu? And what do students often study? And do they plan study abroad? Sure. And, and again, a question that really touches my heart because it was me that opened up the door for my people to go for studies. Mm. If it wasn't for me, a lot of these senior civil servants who had also retired and currently serving would not have any degrees or masters. Most of them, because of my, the policy I did in 1989, opened up the civil service. When I came into prime minister, no civil servant is allowed to go for further education. Well, what was the reason behind well, that? Well, I think it was just how the leaders thought in those days. None of the leaders were qualified, obviously, of course. There's only the prime minister then in, when I came to say that one year with them in 1988 was a medical doctor. Mm. But uh, the, 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 most, the rest were long-serving civil servants. Uh, but they did not see education. They, as I understood it, they say, if they go for qualification, come back, then they will look down on them for not having qualifications. But the senior director too at that time. Yeah. So I devised a program. All permanent secretaries go to your masters and the others go and do your bachelors and this is why Tuvalu is now the highest per capita educated country in our region and perhaps in the world. Thank you oh, for sharing that. Yeah, that's lot. something I, I didn't know. And as you mentioned when you're younger you studied agriculture as well. And I'm really curious because since Tuvalu is a um, archipelago made up of islands, so from what I read, it makes agriculture quite challenging. And could you share with us what the agricultural scene is like in Tuvalu? And I know that the agriculture team from Taiwan actually have been working very closely with your people. How has it been like? Well, it's uh, also sad that 
It has always been ranked low priority in terms of our national development priorities. I was the director, my first career was the director of agriculture. Yes. Yeah. But we were very fortunate to have um, technical assistance experts from Great Britain, mm-hmm. about five of them. And in my days, it was re- really thriving agriculture then. But now Taiwan is there. It's another revival of our agriculture, yes. But uh, having the lo- agriculture is the a lot of people look down on agriculture as an occupation. Mm. Even no, in, I think in, they're wrong. Agriculture yeah. is super important. It's super and very important, yeah. and that's what I feel, because even my own bachelor's degree g- gave me a training that really broadened my insight into life, and, that's, and I, I was basically a general uh, agriculturist, but then I ended up having interest. I'm, I'm a science student, and I end up having interest in agricultural economics, so I went to University of Hawaii. I did a Master of Science in Agriculture and Resource Economics, and uh, it is very, very important. Now, there's a lot of people, Tuvaluan, studying agriculture. Yes. Some have graduated from Pintang oh, yes. uh, University yeah. as well, mm-hmm. so I'm still pushing that a number of them come here. Yes. Yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing that. I actually read some articles and also I, there are actually some videos of travelers who've been to Tuvalu. They share what life is like there. And what I noticed is that it's quite common to see family tombs right in front of people's houses. And that made me so curious. Could you share with us more what's the story behind that and especially what significance does this show of how people in Tuvalu view life and death? The tomb that are close to the houses, traditionally they've been buried in graveyards away from the homes and the villages. It's only a new a concept or oh, practice. So it wasn't like this for a it long time? It wasn't like this. And how recent did, did this come about? I think because of the lack of land. Mm. On the capital mainly, okay. where because in that people started to on my island, for instance, there are surrounding islets because the lagoon is such that there's a lagoon in the center and then surrounded by islets, small islets. So the settlement people were buried in different islands surrounding the lagoon. But now on my island, it's not allowed to bury people next to your house. Oh, you have okay. to take them to the common graveyard of families. Or, but on Funafuti, it's kind of becoming a, a more of a practice mm. because of the lack of land. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's thank you for great. sharing the reason behind this mm. because I, I'm still, I have so much to learn of Tuvalu and I cannot wait to learn more. And uh, switching gears a little bit, um, I think listeners, especially if you're based in Taiwan or honestly anywhere else, from what I know, it's that Tuvalu relies very heavily on imports for, for food source. And I'm curious, how has that informed local life? I know from the stories that I that I read about, most of the things, if not all of them, they're all imported. Is that right? Most of them mm. are important. And Mao people eat rice as a daily staple diet. And of course, wheat or flour. But there has been recently, for the past five years or so, a rise um, in eat balance eating, eat to live but not eat to, to die, you know, the way now they are saying in Tuvalu. So people will flock whatever traditional food is there available for sale. They have a weekly or monthly a flea market there, like mm. the Shilin night market and the <laughs> yeah. fish market in the morning, mm-hmm. where um, people sell a lot of traditional food. Mm. In my own family, for instance, I eat traditional food mainly. I can't eat rice. Could you name drop some traditional foods in Tuvalu that a listener should know? Yeah, and we can... uh, Taro. Yeah. There is taro here. There's coconuts. Mm -hmm. 
um, there's what we call germinated nuts. That's the brown coconut that fall down from the coconut tree and then it develops into shoots like grow up to become another coconut. And the meat inside there, we use it as well. Oh, delicious. Yeah. If we, we boil it with our, um, and then also make um, pudding, coconut pudding out of that. Yes, so Kamala, we have it here. Mm-hmm. A lot of the food we have in Tuvalu, I can find them here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's one thing that I realized in, in the islands like Tuvalu, Samoa, Fiji, the taro leaves. These are supposed to be the most nutritious green vegetable, the taro leaves. Wow, taro leaves. But okay. here they just sell the corn, but they don't sell the taro leaves. Yeah, I think I've never seen people selling taro leaves here. I, I bought yeah. the uh, taro leaves through my colleague here. Okay. Because these are very nutritious. I can uh, see the potato leaves are there. I buy them because I make my uh, dishes with that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. But taro leaves, it's oh. a very common dish to us. Wow, okay. We, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We bake them in coconut cream. Wow, okay. And delicious. Okay, and listeners, markets out there, we need to bring back taro leaves. Okay. Please. <laughs> As Kenny mentioned, yeah, it's please, nutritious. Please. It's, you know, yeah. it's a great source of food and fiber. And we can even teach how to cook them. <laughs> yes. There's an upcoming expo in, in 27th of October where we will have a pavilion there. Oh. And we will demonstrate some of our local cooking and taro leaves will be there too. Oh, yes. Okay, October 27th. I remember that. Yes. And I love that you mentioned um, market scene. Uh, it's, it reminds people of the Shiling night market or fish yeah. market in Taiwan. Then I'm really curious, what are some elements in, in everyday life in Tuvalu that are actually quite similar to life in Taiwan that people might seldom think about? Well, first thing in the morning, you have to decide on what your menu would be for the day or you have to go around in the morning looking for for fish that you can buy, local food, like we have breadfruit. There is breadfruit down in the south, I believe. And if you have breadfruit, please send them up to Taipei. (laughs) (laughs) But these are the most, one of the best dishes we have. Mm. We fry them into chips. We cook them in in our red toddy. This is toddy from the coconut sap. Uh, this is the sap from the coconut spades, you know? Oh, delicious. If we cook those breadfruits for you and you taste, you will love it. Oh, I'm sure yes, I will, So yeah. that's the kind of the yeah. the lifestyle in, in every day in Tuvalu most of the time. They will go shopping, or but mainly looking for local food. You know something from, from what I read about Tuvalu? It's so interesting that I read that people hang out and exercise on the airport fields in the afternoon. Airport is our um, sports ground as well. Mm. Right, that one point. Yeah, something. I saw people playing volleyball. Yeah, and some play soccer or yeah. futsal or uh, or some just walk mm. every day. Yeah, it's something Ex- that you couldn't see, I think, in, in airports in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. Except on Sunday where people don't really, but they, they go walking. Have you played sports there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> and also, it's a place where we can sleep. Mm. Oh, I remember one night I was driving my car as prime minister, drove back with my wife from a function and we drove to before at that time our airport has not been tasseled and we came wow we were fast and then across there were people sleeping mm. i had to put my foot on the brake oh oh <laughs> and turn around and the car went oh my god so that i missed those okay? people well, we were okay. Okay, okay. We landed. Everything was all right. Okay. We were okay. And, but the people there, we were, were saved. Oh. We could have drove on top. Because they sleep in the airport. <laughs> Even now, they sleep in the mm. airport. 
Wow. Wow. That, I just I just feel so like uh, so honored that I know so many of the behind the scenes stories. Thank you so much, Bikini, for spending time here and being on the show. Thank you, Sharon, for the opportunity. And listeners, please stay tuned for an upcoming episode of Last Debatable, where Bikini and I are going to talk about climate change's impact on Tuvalu. That's an episode you don't want to miss. So I'll see you then. Take care. Want to stay up to date or view past RTI programs, videos, and news stories? Come check out our website at english.rti.org.tw.